Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. So today uh, we're continuing our series in Matthew. We've been going verse by verse through this gospel and we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. We are in the middle of Jesus's most famous teaching section. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, working through Jesus's ethical vision for his followers and what it looks like to to live in the kingdom of God, as he calls it throughout this gospel. We left off two weeks ago talking about the heavy topic of lust and adultery. We learned that Jesus elevates lust, the idea that looking isn't that big of a deal. He elevates that to the equivalent of adultery in the heart and says it's a very big deal. In fact, you need to get away from that. You see, lusting is a sin regardless of who you are. And the whole point is we need to guard our hearts. We don't play with sexual sin. We don't flirt with it. We rather run from it. That's what Paul says. Paul says, flee from sexual morality where Jesus, do you remember what he said about all that? Pluck out an eye or cut off a hand. I would take Paul's advice if I were you. Just run from it. He says, get away from it all. But on that note, where Jesus elevates lust to adultery in the heart, he continues and springboards on this idea of adultery, and he enters this hotly debated topic of their day, divorce and marriage. So this is, once again, a difficult teaching section. Just just all of us need to know that going um, in this, and, and when we're dealing with this stuff and, and we're talking about the stuff that Jesus says, it's heavy, it's difficult, but do not attach, detach that away from God's grace, right? We ultimately know Jesus is, is full of grace and he's come for us. So if you failed in this area, we'll get to that towards the end. But those of you who are thinking about divorce or walking away or what all that looks like, I'm super glad you're here today because remember, Jesus is elevating everything. He's showing this is what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. He's already raised the bar on anger, equating that to murder, lust, equating that with adultery, and now he dives in to marriage and he elevates the standards for that as well. And when we read these two verses, we assume that he's just talking about here's how you can get out of a marriage, here's when divorce is okay, but there's so much more going on in their culture and I hope to bring that to life a little bit for you this morning. It says what it says. Let's jump in and start. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. He says, You have heard the law says that a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, what's important for us to understand right from the get-go, we have to understand that divorce is never the will of God. It is permissible when things go sideways with sexual sin, but it's never, divorce is never God's will. 
And this is not the only time this topic is brought up, so we're going to jump to Matthew 19 because it's a more extended conversation for us to get an understanding of the culture back then. Here's what it says, Matthew 19.3. It says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? And so what we know is divorce was the hot topic issue of the day. It was the cultural issue. How do we live, but then how do we follow biblical standards? And then you had people speaking into what the Bible says and different interpretations of their issues. And there was two prevailing thoughts on how to interpret Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. It says this. It says, this is the law, right? This isn't one of the big 10. This isn't one of the 10 commandments, but this is the law that Moses, that God gave to Moses, right? It says, suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. What does that mean? (laughs) Right. Does not please him. Having discovered something is wrong with her. What's that mean? Something wrong with her. He writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her on his way from his house. No legal proceedings. Found out something's wrong with her. She's gone. You see, one school of thought really thought that this meant that if a woman burns his breakfast toast, he's allowed to divorce her. That's the will of God for for his people. Or if he just wanted to marry another woman, she, his current wife displeased him. So, so the next woman was going to please him. He could just divorce her. Thought it was okay. Another school of thought said, no, this is speaking of the adultery, a sexual sin. Something, something else is happening in this, more of the sexual aspect. Something else is going on. And it's really just for adultery or finding out you're related or, or something like that. Then, then you can get a divorce. But the prevailing thought of the day was that a husband could throw his wife out Seriously, there's like documents of just burning food and it was okay. And remember, these are the people of God claiming to be the people of God and throwing human beings out because their breakfast was burnt. So they try to trap Jesus. Hey, enter in this conversation. And so either way, Jesus answered this. They came to trap him because either way, he's going to make somebody mad. He's either going to seem like he's not following the law. If he says, no, no, you can't just divorce her for any reason. Like, you can't do that. They'll be like, well, Moses said, though. So Jesus must not use the Bible. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to trick him. Or if he raises the standards, all those people who've thrown their wives out, they're going to be frustrated at him. Like, well, how dare you go against and, and talk bad about things I've done? So either way, they're trying to trap him, cause him to use, uh, lose popularity. People trying to revolt against Jesus. So they try to trap so Jesus can't, can't I just divorce her for anything? And then Jesus says, and you love this, verse 4, 19.4. Haven't you read the scripture, Jesus replied? So he's talking to the scholars. He's talking to the lawyers, which were the scholar, biblical scholars, because that's where their law was. So he's talking to the people who were experts in the Bible. Haven't you read the Bible? Just like so, uh, Jesus, are you following us? Of course we have. It's Deuteronomy 24.1. That's what we're working through. What do, what do you mean, have we read the scriptures? He says, no, no, no. Not the how do I get out of scripture. <laughs> Haven't you read the whole purpose of marriage? So he takes them back. Verse 5, 
or four and five. He says, haven't you read the scripture? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what, say that word with me, God has joined together. And so this is so beautiful. How Jesus looks at the scriptures, how he answers the questions needs to inform us about how we read our Bibles and the questions we ask about it. You see, the issue at hand is when can I get out of the marriage? When can I get a divorce? That's the prevailing conversation. Just like today, we want to go to the Bible to answer these specific questions. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. How about we look at the Bible and read how to have a great marriage? how to stay in your marriage, how to love one another. Like, why don't we go to it to discover God's whole purpose for this thing to begin with? So we need to reflect and we need to think about that. When we're going to the Bible, are we going to try to get out of something, try to find answers for what we really want to do? Or are we trying to go to find life? Jesus says he's come to bring us abundant life, meaning it's possible, it's possible to have an abundant, fulfilling Marriage. And some of you are like, mm, you haven't met my spouse. That's uncomfortable, isn't it? But it's possible. It's just what are we searching the scriptures for? And so Jesus points them back. He's like, look, look, it's not about how to get out of. Let's go back and look at what God created there, how he made people, how he brought them together. And so he brings up first that God made male and females. It's so what we learn is according to Jesus, he goes back to the beginning and tells us that our biology isn't like this social construct. It's a creative construct that, that God has put into place. Male and female was his creation, his design. So our purposes are then to live out what it means to be a male and what it means to be a female, how God created. But not only that, he comes and he unites us. He brings us and join together. We are one in God through a marriage. So marriage is God's creation, God's creative purposes for a man and woman to come together, to, to have children, to have this family unit. And they are considered, which it's hard to just explain how important that one flesh is. It's literally like the coming together, the fusing together of people. So you're no longer two, but you act as one. This intimacy that we need to see there, the sexual intimacy that's described there, the emotional intimacy that's described there about the two coming together to be one. And so when it comes to marriage, when we come to this idea of what God created and the intimacy that needs to come together, we need to take that very serious. I've yet to encounter, and you guys may be the first one to come to my office this week, we'll find out, but I've yet to encounter a couple who came and said, look, we're just tired of being so intimate and so close, we just need to leave each other. Like the emotional connection is amazing, it's draining. The sexual connection is so amazing, we just can't tolerate it any longer. But I have had the exact opposite come into my office. Well, we just, we're not intimate. We don't talk. We don't get along. There's no date nights. There's no hanging out. There's no dating. There's no being nice. It's just the emotional is gone. They're like we have kids and they're draining us. Our sex, we, we just don't have it anymore. It's been 
That intimacy is lost. But God created us to come together and the intimacy to come together. And, and while we're on that, just real quick, it's impossible for you to raise your kids in this great way while ignoring your spouse. I see that too often. We think our kids more important. They're not. Your spouse is. Your spouse is far more important than your kids because you need to have your kids watch that healthy marriage. See how that's what it looks like. That's what I need to go after. See, we always talk about this idea of getting married, but marriage is about giving. And those of you who have been married, you know that. It's about giving your partner what they need. It's about looking out for their interest rather than your own. And again, I've yet to encounter a couple. You may come to me this week and tell me your story. I'd love to hear it. But I've yet to meet a couple who came in and said, listen, my spouse just gives me so much and is always there for me and I'm tired of it. If we would follow with this one flesh and this intimacy and this giving, usually it comes into, hey, they're not meeting my needs. I'm not meeting their needs. We get in that crazy cycle. Read the book. If you haven't read it, it's called Love and Respect. But it's all about me, 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 me. Well, of course, it's not about that. It's about the other person. When you're committing your life to them, you're committing to fulfill their needs. You put them above you. And that is difficult. It is not easy. But it's what we're called to do as Christians. And think about how difficult it was for them back then. They had arranged marriages. Could you imagine what kind of spouse your parents would have picked out for you? And then you have to give everything to them and you didn't even pick them? In the 21st century, you have nobody to blame but you. You picked them. So now fulfill it. Come together. Work through that stuff. Then they continue. Well, Jesus, you're pointing us back. Then why? Verse 7. Then why? Why, Jesus? Why didn't Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked? Then why even bring it up if I can't get rid of her? My toast. She just can't get it right, Jesus. Why did he bring it up? And he says, verse 8. He says, no, no. Moses, verse 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted. Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts because of your sin, because of your rebellion, because of you pulling away, because of you not coming together. He permitted it because he knows the reality. God is not naive when it comes to sin. So he permitted it because of the reality of your sin. That sometimes you just can't stay together because of the sins that are involved. And God understood that. So he permits it, not commands it. He permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. God doesn't want us to walk away from marriage. God doesn't want us to get so caught up in sin and so caught up in whatever this may be that we destroy our marriages. Like that's not God's intention. That's not what he wants. He wants us to be one flesh looking out for the needs of the other person. So God permitted it, but he doesn't want that. He permits it, but never wills it. Verse 9, Jesus continues. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. So we saw in verse 5, it was the opposite. Now it's about him. He commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. So we see the same thing directed towards the man that we saw in verse 5, chapter 5, Matthew 5. Next slide. 
It says, and I, oh, excuse me, that's the one we just read. Here's the other one. It says, but I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. So here Jesus is saying, well, if he gets a divorce and he marries someone else, he commits adultery. Now he's saying she causes her to commit adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. And so when we bring these ideas together, we see that divorce is, is not the will of God. This isn't something he wants for any of us. And men were commonly the ones, although there's some evidence that some females, um, some, some women did initiate it. But back then, it was mainly a male-driven society who could just do away with his wife. And so Jesus says, listen, if you're divorcing your wife, you're causing her to sin, to be an adulterer. And you are an adulterer as well. You're like, hey, I didn't cheat on her. I divorced her first. He said, no, no, we're not going to recognize that recognizing of your divorce isn't recognized in God's eyes because you're still married. You're one. And then when you get married and then you commit the sexual acts, now you're an adulterer. Like it's a really big deal. So the one who's initiating it is, is not only an adulterer, but also responsible causing the other person who now has to find another partner to be an adulterer. And so Jesus recognizes the seriousness of the marital vows. He recognizes the seriousness of spouses cheating and he elevates. He's like, this is a big deal. Like, pay attention to this. Watch out for this. That's why when it comes to sexual morality, that's why when it comes to lust, he say, Run. We're like, ah, I can handle it. He's like, no. Run from it. And you see, what they're focused on is not just this idea of my spouse committing adultery, but it's about just throwing them away or doing away with them or just wanting somebody else. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Divorce. Divorce is not an option for a Jesus follower. Divorce needs to be taken off the table. It needs to be something is not a valid option. However, it is permissible in the cases of adultery. But just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's mandatory. I've seen God do all sorts of things through those situations. And Jesus' view on the seriousness of this, what we're going to read next needs to stand out to us about how serious he took this because the marriages were in trouble back then, just like they're in trouble today. People not taking it serious, people just wanting out of it. And Jesus is like, no, no, this is a lifelong commitment. God's brought you together. You need to stay together. You need to work through this thing. His disciples say this. Look at verse 10. Jesus' disciples said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to get married. If we're stuck with our spouse forever... Perhaps we just shouldn't do it. Perhaps we should just never get married. This is too difficult. And so if you think it's crazy to stay with your spouse forever, the disciples did too. They just thought, this is, this is too much, Jesus. I mean, who can even do this? Your standards are too high. And then Jesus uses this as an opportunity to explain something else I think is so important for our current climate about marriage, marriage and sexual issues. He says this, verse 11, he says, not everyone can accept this statement about not getting married. Jesus said, only those whom God helps. He's telling them, he's telling us that perhaps you're right. Singleness is a valid option for a Jesus follower. You see, back then, just like it is today, if somebody's not married by the age of, I don't know, throw a number out, the first question, anybody who's single and is over 30, the first question they get asked is, so when you get married, 
It's taboo, even in our churches. Knowing that Jesus says this, that singleness is a valid option. Like some of us just need to be single. Not now, I'm married. You understand, that's not what I'm advocating for. But singleness is a valid option. And so he puts it on the table because back then it was thought of like, well, what's wrong? What's, what's going on if you're not married? Just like today. But if you're single, Jesus says, well, that means you're celibate. Look at what he says next. Verse 12. He says, some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others. And some chose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. And the, the translation here says, some chose not to marry. It literally says, some choose to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven heaven. And so to Jesus, a eunuch is someone who, a male who's been castrated, if you didn't know. Okay. So they're unable to have sexual intercourse. And so for Jesus to be single means to be celibate. Being sexually active outside of marriage isn't an option for Jesus follower. They're like, Jesus, it's better not to get married. He's like, yeah, you can be a eunuch. And they're like, What about the third option, Jesus? <laughs> Never comes up. No one's brave enough to ask him that question. So marriage is the place to express your sexual desires. To not be married means to not have sex. To which people said, Paul says, it's better to get married than to burn with lust is what Paul says. So those are our options. That's for a Jesus follower, to follow his will and, and his guidance. But sex is created to experience by the husband and wife. That's the special thing they share. And so what's so interesting is he already talked about, follow his thought. He already talked about, well, God created male and female. And the automatic question is, because I've been asked it several times, well, what about, what about those who've been born with some abnormal, abnormalities? What, what, what about them? What, what are they supposed to do? Which Jesus now mentions. He says, some were born this way, a eunuch. Some were born, been castrated. Some were born with functions not working. It's the reality of life. Some are made that way. Some who were servants to the king or some other people, males would be castrated so they didn't have to worry about any sexual desires. They could just fully serve their boss. That's a little demanding for a job description, isn't it? I think I would not apply for that. I'm just throwing that out there. I'd be like, mm-mm, not applying for that job. And then some choose not to marry. Some choose not to engage for the kingdom of heaven like, like it's possible. Jesus doesn't elevate singleness and celibacy over being married. He says, for some people, that's possible, and that's okay. Like, it is a valid option for a Jesus follower. Celibacy in a single life is on the table to be devoted to him, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, so they get the idea of nuns and, and things like that. Like, it's okay. It is an option. So singleness is an option. But he says, some are born male, some are born female. We are created to bond with, with one another in, in marriage with the opposite sex. And for whatever reason it may be, whether you're born a certain way, whether you're made a certain way by the actions of others, or for those who choose certain lifestyle, whatever it may be for you, whatever that looks like and you got going on, Jesus says, hey, we get that. But singleness then, if you don't want to marry the opposite sex, if that's not for you, for whatever reason that may be, singleness is a valid option for you. And before we criticize Jesus, 
before we criticize and say, well, that's just not fair. We have to understand that the example Jesus gives is somebody who's had their manhood cut off. So he's well aware that life isn't fair. But yet there's difficult decisions and things we have to work through if we're going to be Jesus followers. And we have to remember Jesus was single. So being single isn't less than anything. It doesn't make you somehow not as good as those married people or people with families. Jesus was single. So it is an option. And our identity, and this is so important, we have an over-sexualized culture, they did back then too, but our identity is not found in our sexuality. Our identity is not found in sex. Like you are so much more than a sexual being. I hope you know that. You are a human being made in the image of God. Like you are son and daughter of God. I mean, like that is huge. You're not just a sex object. That's the whole discussion about lust. You are more than an object. You are a human being who deserves love. We don't, that's why Jesus pushes away from lust. Lust creates people that are just objects. When you lust, it's just a thing. Not really, not, not really worried. It's not really a person. It's just, just this object, which Jesus is like, no, no, no. This is a human being. My son or daughter made in the image of me. It's not a thing. It's a human being. So people are more than sexual objects. They've been created by God. And this stuff is difficult to work through. I'm well aware of that, but I have a couple of points I want us to just think about some application points for us this morning. The first one is this. When we read these divorce passages, we have to understand that Jesus is protecting women. This needs to see it. We need to see it. It needs to ring in our minds. We need to understand Jesus is protecting a group of people here because it's the women who would miss out. It's the women who'd be thrown to the side, who couldn't own property, who couldn't just go get jobs like they men could. So Jesus is protecting these women. The idea that you could just throw a woman aside because she didn't please you any, any longer, Jesus is like, no. No, you can't do that. That's not how this works. That's not what marriage is, is for. And so back then, the conversations were all about the men. Woman was a property. Your wife was just a piece of property, to which Jesus is like, No. She, God has created both male and female in his image. They're both important. So Jesus here, and I'm telling you, this is a big deal, counterculture, he is protecting women. And he changes the conversation about how to just get out of something. And he changes it to the unity of marriage and the sacredness and the seriousness of marriage. So then the husband who treated her like a piece of property would start looking at her like a human being made in his image. It's his daughter. I mean, men, you're dating God's daughter. You're married to God's daughter. You ever thought about that? Makes you kind of go, oops, right, this is daughter. It's a big deal. Jesus is all for human beings made in his image. That's the whole lust and the whole love conversation. We need to start thinking about that. And Jesus is protecting women 2,000 years ago. This is what the gospel led to, women finally being able to do things in society. It took a long time, but here we are. Number two, I want us to see that divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Why divorce is a big deal? 
because marriage is a big deal. Just like we talk about the reason why sin is such a big deal. It's not that we're trying to make everybody feel terrible. It's just the reality of it. Sin is a big deal, which makes Jesus an even bigger deal because he died for it. So we talk about sin to understand Jesus. Because if we don't think sin's a big deal, then what we think about Jesus, we're like, well, that's not a big deal because sin's not a big deal. No, it is. So we talk about sin to understand how big of a deal Jesus is. And so I believe that marriage has been elevated in the Christian culture as a, as a big deal and sacred and divorce is taboo. Like, I get that because Jesus elevates marriage. But we do have to understand that divorce is not unpardonable. It's not the unforgiving sin. God can redeem any situation and any relationship. And that doesn't mean that if you're a Christian, well, you know what? So I'm just going to go ahead and divorce him. I'm going to go ahead and divorce her because he'll forgive me later. The trail of destruction you're going to leave in your wake, there's going to be a lot that happens. It doesn't just work that way. Marriage tears apart what God joins together. But when it comes to marriage... And Jesus' ethics for lust and, and sex and adultery need to remember God's grace. And that you can be forgiven. If you were the one who, who caused a divorce, if you're the one who initiated that divorce, if you're the one who did what you did and it, your um, marriage ended up ending because of what you've done, listen, that can be redeemed through Jesus Christ. There needs to be a whole lot of humility and repentance in that situation. Some of you, the victims of it, what somebody else has done, God can redeem your situation too. We serve a gracious God. God can redeem that. Your hope needs to come in Christ. Not him, not her to begin with. Your hope needs to be found in Jesus. So whether you initiated it, whether somebody has done it to you and now you're in this situation trying to figure out what to do next, just understand you're not in the unpardonable sin area. Christ can redeem. Christ can forgive. But some of you need to work through that forgiveness journey. Maybe what somebody has done, what your spouse has done, you need to work through that forgiveness journey. You're trying to redeem. You're trying to work it out. You're trying to let God work in that. But forgiveness, true forgiveness, is going to have to happen. In fact, forgiveness in marriage, can you be married and not forgive? Not a good marriage, huh? Forgiveness is the key. But in order to move on, whether you've been the one who initiated the divorce, whether you've had someone initiate it, and now you're dealing with the trauma of that because of what they've done, listen, forgiveness is the key to move on towards a better life in Christ and to find hope and let him redeem and work through all of that. And then lastly, we need to just see the seriousness of marriage because Jesus took it very serious. Being married or getting married isn't something that should be engaged in lightly, and it's something we need to seriously weigh out the options before we even think about doing it, because it's extremely difficult. Jessica and I, we would not be married if it wasn't for the grace of God. Our first year was terrible. Terrible. I hear about this honeymoon stage. I was like, I don't know where ours went. No idea. Because what happens when you take two hard-headed people and put them into a living situation? They haven't lived together before. I just came back from deployment, and we just said, hey, we just got married and lived together. What do you think happens? I can tell you what happens. Oh, my goodness. But God's grace. And it wasn't just that first year. We've had problems all throughout the 15 years we've been married. It's God's grace. And there's other people here who have been married far longer can tell you it's by God's grace. It's by his grace he can get you through. But too many people just give up. 
They quit fighting. They, keep, they quit working. They get tired. They stop caring. They stop fighting. They stop trying to meet each other's needs. But I, I want to encourage you to keep fighting. Keep fighting with your spouse. That means you have passion. It's okay. At least it has to be because me and my wife fight all the time. If you'd live with me, you'd fight too. It's just the way it is. But keep fighting. Keep the passion alive. Keep working on your marriage, especially if you have kids. Folks, they're watching. They're watching you. Fathers, your daughters are watching how you treat your wife. Are you giving them a good example when they marry someone like you? Are you going to be frustrated? Are you going to be aggravated that you gave them their whole life? This is what it looks like. If you're a stubborn human being and they married a stubborn human being, guess what? You did it. They're watching you. They're watching your faith. They're watching how you treat each other. So live in a way that you'd want them to live when they grow up. So some of you, some of you, it's time to step up and do the right thing. It's time to end those other relationships you're engaged in, those things you think nobody else knows about. It's time to just quit and engage fully in the marriage you're in. Quit that. It's not healthy. It's not okay. And then some of you just need to commit to the person you're sleeping with. There are no other options. To be a Jesus follower and engage in sexual relationship is to be married. To not is to be celibate. Those are his options he lays out for us. And church, I believe this is one thing we got to get right. In the upcoming year, we're going to have some marriage ministry stuff launching. We've had a bunch of couples working through their marriages behind the scenes, getting ready for us to start this re-engage, um, uh, this re-engage ministry. We are so very excited to have to where we're going to actually be able to tell people like, hey, if you have marriage troubles, if you need to re-engage with your spouse, if you need to work through that marriage, like we're going to be able to point them to our church. And have some couples to really walk with them and help with them and pray with them through their journey. And we are very excited about that because the gospel is more than just about how to get in heaven, to get to heaven, although it includes that. The gospel also tells us how to live a life that's honoring to God. It tells us how to treat our spouses. It teaches us what an abundant life in Jesus Christ really looks like. And we're going to spend a lot of time, we're going to spend a lot of energy, and we're going to spend a lot of money in that resource is to try to help other people have better marriages because I know what it's like. And perhaps you know what it's like to live in a situation where you don't see that, where you grew up without that. And we want to help other families be able to work through their things to help their kids and have a generational impact, one far bigger than we'll ever see, all because we took the time to invest in them. Because remember, Paul says this in Ephesians 5.31, and we're done. He says this. He says, the scriptures say a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. You see, our marriages reflect the oneness of Jesus and the church. Like our marriage is a testimony to the world of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. How we treat our spouse shows the world how Jesus interacts with his church, with his bride. That's us. Our marriages are a testimony to our faith and what we believe and how Jesus interacts with his people. 
So this is a big deal, church. But for you, wherever you're at, whatever you're working through, never forget, never forget God's grace in it all. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for the salvation found in him. Lord, we thank you so much for grace, knowing that there are so many areas of our lives that we failed. Lord, help us forgive. Help us seek forgiveness where we need to. And Lord, ultimately, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. And Lord, as we work through what this looks like in our lives, what it looks like to have a relationship that honors you, we just ask that we hear your spirit, that we start communicating with our spouses. And Lord, help those who are on the verge of walking away from their spouse to just put that to an end. Allow them to hear from you this morning that that's not what you desire, nor is that what you are asking. Lord, we ask you that our church can be a place that marriages can find help and that people and relationships can become healthy through Jesus. Lord, we thank you for what you've done and what you're continuing to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.